0: (laughs) Thank you so much. Hey, how's everybody doing? C+, how's everybody doing? All right, B+, still not an A, but I'm going to give you a, that's good enough for now. Apparently, this is hard for you guys. So, my name is is Mark. I missed you last weekend. So, let me tell you what happened. So, I left on New Year's Day. Tuesday, we had a 6 o'clock flight out of LAX. I was up at 3.30. Painful. Anything before, like, 9 o'clock wake-up time for me is never good. So that was kind of brutal. And then we had to go to Washington, D.C. to move my daughter in. So let me tell you my version of the story, and then I'll give you the facts later. So my version of the story. So we moved in, and it was, I think, 80 degrees below zero. And and the snow was 17 feet high. And we had to move her up to the seventh floor. That part's true. The seventh floor, one box at a time by going up the stairwell and down the stairwell. All right. Now here's... It was only like 48 degrees, which just seems like 70 below to me because I'm born and raised in Southern California. I'm such a wimp in the cold. I hate the cold. So it was like 48 to 52 the whole time. And then we, we took elevators up and down to, to the seventh floor. But, but it's the seventh floor, right? It's like you had to wait that much longer. And we had carts. We didn't have to do one box at a time. We had dollies and stuff like that. But it just seemed, it just seemed like we had to go up and down stairs. And, and it wasn't snowing at all. <laughs> but it's, you know what I'm saying? Like when you're from Southern California, if it's below 70, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's freezing outside. So I'm a wimp. That's all I can tell you. I, what, what am I going to say? Anyway. So, the, the, on, the, on the hot side of things was you got to hear from Pastor Dave last weekend. Yeah, thank you, brother. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll never get tired of saying this. It's, it's just like, every time he's done preaching, I think, that's the best he's ever done. And then, I, and then I watch this, and I'm like, that's a new best. It's like a new new record, or whatever you want to call it. So... Dude, you are, you are amazingly, amazingly a, a blessing to, to me and to this church, so thank you so much. Yeah, well done. So stinks to be me following Pastor Day, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the best that I can, so whatever. All right, let me, uh, let me get my clock and I'm, I'm ready to go. Good to see you guys. I hope that you are excited to be in the Lord's house. I hope you're excited to be in the Lord. Amen. We, of all people, should be the most excited. So I am, <laughs> you know, when I, when I map out, whatever, months out, sometimes six, eight, nine months out, um, the text that we're going to go over, and I look at it and, 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 you know, do a little bit of study, and I think, oh, I can handle Ruth two and one. Oh, my goodness, man. <laughs> I am going to fail you miserably, but we're going to have a good time doing it. Uh, lots to cover. So um, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for doing Ruth one so well. So let me just give you a little recap. If I can remember names, if I don't, you can correct me, Dave. So in, in Ruth chapter 1, so uh, Elimelech, there's a, there's a famine going on in Bethlehem. And so Elimelech goes to a place you really shouldn't go. He goes to Moab uh, with his wife, uh, Naomi, and then Malon and Chilion, his two sons. And so whilst there, uh, Elimelech, he passes away. And then his two uh, sons, Naomi and Elimelech's sons, uh, they find wives, some Moabitess women. Uh, it's not Oprah, it's Orpa. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> anyway, it would just be great if it was Oprah. But it's not. I, maybe in some versions it's Oprah. And so uh, they, they, uh, the sons get married to these uh, two Moabite women, and then, and then they pass away. And that's just a rough life for Naomi. And, and so she says, I'm going to go back. You know, she hears the famine has lifted in, in Bethlehem, and so she's going to return. And the, and, the, and the daughter-in-law say, we'll return with you. And, they, and she says, no, you need to stay here and, and find husbands for yourselves. And and Ruth says, no, I, I, I'm going to go with you. And it's just such a, it's really a tear-jerking moment in chapter one where she says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God and I'm going to be at your side no matter what. I mean, just a sacrificial story of Ruth and what she does for for Naomi. Did I do okay? That was good? Okay. So that's the setting of Ruth chapter two. And so it, it, Naomi's coming back with Ruth, and and quite frankly, it's not a pretty picture. It's just really drab and dreary, and and, and hardship has happened, and she's got to somehow go back and rebuild her life and has no idea what that's going to look like. So with that, let's just pause there. So let me me open up with this. (laughs) Most kitchens have blenders. These blenders are designed to take independent foods and integrate them, coagulate them, unite them, interface them, and create something new bigger, and better than any one item on its own. A blender takes these items and forces them together so that what started out as separate, unrelated things now become unified into something wonderful. At least I hope that's what you're doing with your blenders. What a cook does when using a blender is what God does with his universe, with his creation. He is the consummate blender, He has an absolutely amazing ability to take unrelated things and come up with something bigger, better, and more beautiful than what he started with. That's the God that you and I serve. C.S. Lewis says this. It'll be on your screens. If and when horror turns up, you will then be given grace to help you. I don't think one is usually given it grace in advance give us our daily bread, not an annuity for life, applies to the spiritual gifts too. The daily support for the daily trial. Life has to be taken day by day and hour by hour. And you see that happening in this story. Let's pray, church. Almighty God, we, um, we thank you. We, we, we recognize, Lord, that you are in control, that you are sovereign and that your providence allows things to happen and you, and you blend all that together and you constantly make incredible things. You make beautiful things, Lord. If, if we just allow you to do that, you can take that brokenness and that hurt and the hardship and do fantastic things. And so we recognize that. Your word is full of opportunities to see how you work And and we see that here in the book of Ruth, and we're just so grateful. And so, Lord, we we pray that we would learn more about your character so that we can trust you more, live for you more, to praise you for how you work, to trust you when it's seemingly things are falling apart, that we say, Lord, you're in control, and I'm going to trust you. God, we thank you for that. Forgive us, Lord, when we lose sight of that because we do lose sight of that, Lord. All of us do. And you remind us again and again and again because you're long-suffering with us. You're so patient with us, Lord. And for that, we say thank you. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. So, uh, this is more than a quote. This is going to be like a couple chapters. I'm joking. There's a couple screens uh, from Warren Wiersbe. So, let's read this together, okay? So, before God changes our circumstances, He wants to change our hearts. If our circumstances change for the better, but we remain the same, then we're actually going to become worse. God's purpose in providence is not to make us comfortable, but to make us conformable conformed to the image of his son, as it says in Romans chapter 8. Christ-like character is the divine goal for each of his children. God has a goal for you. You might have goals for yourself, but God has a goal for each and every one of you. Naomi was, we got, okay, this is good, so I'm not sure how this is all going to work. I've never done this big of a quote. Naomi was bitter against God. But Ruth was willing for for God to have his way in her life. And so God began his gracious work with Ruth. Ruth would influence Naomi and then God would bring to pass a wonderful work that would eventually bring the Son of God into the world. God's blending. He's throwing things in the blender. Ruth and Naomi had no idea that they were part of an eternal plan that would fulfill God's promise to Abraham. Abraham. That his seed, Abraham's seed, would bring blessing to the whole world. That was hundreds of years before. Ruth's story begins with the death of a husband, but it will end with the birth of a baby. Her tears will be turned into triumph. In Boaz, we have a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ in his relationship to his bride, the church. We're going to be introduced to Boaz in chapter 2. Like Ruth, the lost sinner is outside the covenant family of God, bankrupt with no claim on God's mercy. But God took the initiative and provided a way for us to enter his family through faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in the person of Boaz for Ruth in chapter 2. I love this book. It just screams the person of Jesus Christ. Here's our outline, church. We've got four stanzas. We're going to talk about the presence of Boaz. We're going to talk about the protection of Boaz. This is God. This is Christ, right? The provision of Boaz, and then the partnership of Boaz. Okay? So, our first stanza, the presence of Boaz, verses 1 through 7. Turn with me, if you're not already there, to Ruth, chapter 2. Dave, I heard your thing that you said that how to find Ruth, you say Joshua judges Ruth. I thought that was pretty cute right yeah, the first five books and then Joshua judges Ruth like it's a sentence and I think that's hilarious I'd never heard that before all right so Ruth chapter 2 or I can just say Ruth is after judges and before first Samuel I don't know whatever helps okay so let's read the first 7 verses church now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech whose name was Boaz And Ruth the Moabitess says to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And so she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. She just happened to go there. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, And said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. What a good boss. And then Boaz said to his servant, uh, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant in charge of the reapers replied, she's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And thus she came and has remained from morning until now. And she has been sitting in the house for a little while. She was working her tail off is what that means. Okay, so I want to revisit how chapter one ended. Let's look at verses 19 through 22, the last four verses of chapter one. Hey, can we, is it cold in here? It is. One, maybe two degrees, that's it, not not 10. Then we're going to be too hot. It just feels a little cold, yeah? Okay, so let's revisit 19 through 22. So they both went out, so this is Naomi and Ruth, right? They both went until they came to Bethlehem, And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And I just love how Dave unpacked that last week. If you weren't here, listen to last week. And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Mara means bitter. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? And so Naomi returned with her, uh, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It's a dark, bleak picture. They're hurting very badly. Mara says, I'm bitter. Things have been bad for me. And so what's interesting is verse 1. You you know, you end 19 through 22, and it's just not looking good. And then verse 1 of chapter 2 presents an interesting turn, potentially, It seems that out of nowhere, it says Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Yeah, so what? Like, that's just like this interesting information dropped in the middle of this story. As we exit chapter 1, things are not pleasant. They are burdensome and bitter. But here, the author of Ruth interjects this information. Four things. It says that now now Naomi had one, a kinsman of her husband, two, a man of great wealth, three, of the family of Elimelech, and four, he had a name and it was Boaz. Very detailed information. And so you start to put maybe some pieces together. See, it's fun encouraging, empowering to look back. See, we're looking back. We know how this story goes. And so it's encouraging and empowering to look back and see all the details. See, these are details. Those four things are details of this story. To look back and to see all the details of how the Lord worked and provided and delivered and blessed. We know that the Lord's going to provide and bless through the details of verse 1. For sure, I would say for most of us, if not all of us, we'd rather tell the story of how the Lord worked in hardship than to live the story of how the Lord worked in hardship. Isn't that right? We would much rather tell the story. I would rather talk about the story of Ruth than to talk about my story, because it's just much easier. But how much more powerful is it to tell the story that we have lived? It makes our testimony to others significantly more impactful. Psalm 34 verse 8 says this, Oh church, oh man and woman of God, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The Lord allows us to go through stuff so that we can taste and see that he is good. That he is all the things that he claims to be. He allows us to taste and see that he is good and that we are blessed when we take refuge in him. He allows those things to happen. What I love about verse 1 being placed where it is, is that it gives the reader, at this moment, it gives the reader hope and hope. Understanding that in the midst of a trial, the Lord is working out the details of deliverance and the details of blessing. That's what's interesting about the details of verse 1. That in the midst of this craziness, they're coming back and it's hard. And And the writer drops in these pieces of information. It's like, God's at work. Now, we know that because we're looking back. But in the moment, Naomi and Ruth don't know about Boaz. They don't know that he's wealthy. They don't know that he's a man of character and that he can provide. Let's read verse 2. Verse 2 says, And Ruth said to Naomi, Please, let me, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Ruth needs favor, grace. Ruth needs that desperately. Look at the progression of favor. Look also at verse 10. So she says in verse 2, Let me, let me go, I'm going to try to find favor. Then look at verse 10. We're skipping ahead here. So she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Boaz, why have I found favor in your sight? That you should take notice of me. I'm a foreigner. I don't even belong here. So she, she seeks favor, and then she gets it. She says, why? Why do I get favor? And then look at verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight. She's owning it. She's claiming it. She recognizes that she's been blessed. Church, it is only when we, like Ruth, come to that place where we realize that we are bankrupt, broken, and destitute, and we go to seek the Lord's favor, will we ever find it. We have to get to that place where we're broke, we're broken, we're destitute, that that's where we'll find the Lord's favor when we say, oh Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. What a fitting song. And Bill and I didn't even plan that. We must first seek to find favor. We must seek the Lord. And then we will, that's that's verse two, And then we will say, when we do find favor from God's grace, we'll say, wow, why? Why have I found favor in your sight? That's verse 10. And then we will say, like verse 13, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your servant. We must seek his favor and we must humbly say, I don't deserve, I recognize that I don't deserve his favor, but then we must proclaim and declare that we have found his favor, Is that just amazing? Verse 3. And so she departed and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she, she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, you don't say, who was of the family of Elimelech. Pastor Dave covered this last week. But the reason Ruth went to glean in another person's field is because the Lord's law that governed his people allowed it. The reason she went to glean in another person's field is because the word of God said that that's what she's supposed to do. She was obedient. Ruth obeyed the word of God. A Moabitess who put her faith, hope, and trust in the Lord and in Naomi's God, the God of Israel. Ruth obeyed the word of God. Does she understand all the word of God? Probably not. Do we? We're still learning, aren't we? But she obeyed the word of God. And verse 3 says, did you pick up on that? That she happened to arrive at Boaz's field. What a coincidence. This word happened, you know what it really means? It means her chance chanced upon. Ruth's chance chanced upon Boaz's field. I think that's fantastic. I like that better. Ruth's chance chanced upon boaz's field one commentary says this this look at this church ruth moved forward in obedience and was guided by grace was guided by favor we move in obedience and then god guides us by his grace if we're waiting to figure things out good luck we got to move forward in obedience and then god will guide us by his grace A couple weeks ago, I asked here if anybody knew an Arab proverb, and nobody did until the 11 o'clock service, Uh, and it was Bill Kahn, which really threw off my groove. So here's a Latin proverb. Does anybody know a Latin proverb? Okay, that's fantastic. Me neither. So this is great. Providence assists, not the idol. Providence assists, not the idol. We move in obedience, and we watch God's providence take care of everything else. Church, as we obey the word of God, as we obey the word of God, it will be exciting to see (laughs) what our chance chances upon. As we obey, as we place ourselves under the obedience and the authority of scripture, it'll be interesting to see what our chance chances upon. Hey, look, I've said this and I'll probably say it more and more and more in the future. We've all had our stuff. I've had my stuff, but my chance has chanced upon some pretty amazing stuff. I have lived a charmed life in spite of all the hardship and on spite of all the stuff that's happened in my life, like it's happened in yours. But I've my chance has chanced upon some pretty amazing things. I live an amazing life because I am obedient to the Lord's word as best as I know how, and I fight and I fight and I fight and I watch the Lord bless and show favor and show grace. I'm so thankful that he's so faithful. Is this not just one more reason to read Scripture? To see and to know how the Lord operates in our lives, in each other's lives, in the people of the past and the people of the present and the people of the future, because God says, "I am the same, yesterday, today and forever, it's one more reason to be in the word of God to know how He operates. To build our faith. To gain our trust and our allegiance and our obedience. That's why we spend time in his word. and We move out in obedience. And then we chance upon our chance of how he's going to work in our life as he guides us through his providence. It's powerful. That's what's happening in the book of Ruth. Let's read verses 4 through 7. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers... May the Lord be with you. And they said, May the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge, Who is this woman? And the servant in charge of the reapers replied, "She's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And and she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And thus she came and has remained from morning until now. And she's been sitting in the house resting for a little bit because she's about to go out and reap some more. She's going to work her tail off. We simply see here in the remaining verses of this stanza that Boaz, like Jesus Christ, is not just a man of great character and great credentials, but he's also a man of great concern. Boaz doesn't just have great character and great credentials. He does have those things, but he's also a man of great concern. He takes notice of Ruth, a Moabite woman. He's a man of character. He's a man of credential, but he's a man of concern. And he takes notice. Our God is a God of great character, a God of great credentials, but he's a God of concern. He takes notice of us, outsiders, people that don't belong to the family of God because of our sin. He takes notice of us and he's concerned for us and says, who is that? 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 Can you believe that? He notices each and every one of us. Our second stanza, the protection of Boaz, verses 8 through 13. Now, in these next six verses, it won't be difficult to recognize that things could not have worked out more perfectly for Ruth. We're gonna recognize that when we read these next six verses. She would find provision, she would find protection, she would find life in these next six verses. Let's read 8 through 13. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully. If I'm Ruth, I'm listening carefully. My daughter, do not go glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. And she fell on her face and bowed to the ground and said, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And Boaz replied to her, "'All that you have done for your mother-in-law "'after the death of your husband "'has been fully reported to me "'and how you left your father and your mother "'in the land of your birth "'and came to a people "'that you did not previously know.'" And he says, "'May the Lord reward your work "'and your wages be full from God, "'the God of Israel, "'under whose wings you have come to seek refuge.'" And then she said, "'I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, "'for you have comforted me "'and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant.'" though I am not like one of your maidservants. I'm an outsider. Everything she could have wanted just happened. As mentioned, it couldn't have worked out any better. Provision, protection, life under Boaz. But let's revisit verse 12 first and then verse 8. Look at verse 12. The writer says... That Boaz says, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel. It's under his wings that you have come to seek refuge. That's where your wages will be full. full. That's where you'll find all your answers. That's where you'll find all your provision. All the things of life come from God. Go to verse eight. Boaz says to Ruth, Listen carefully. Do not go glean elsewhere. Church, (laughs) it's when we seek our refuge under the wings of the Lord that our wages will be full from the Lord. But so often we go to glean in another field to get full. Our fullness is found under the refuge, under the protection of the Lord God Almighty through the person of Jesus Christ, and yet we go glean other places. And Boaz says, listen carefully. And I'm saying to you, church, listen carefully. Don't go glean any other place. All the fullness of the Lord is found under his wing, under his protection, under his refuge. Psalm 18, verse 2. The psalmist says this The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer and my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He's everything. My fullness is found in him. Oh, church, oh, church, oh, church, where have you been gleaning? Where have you been gleaning? Boaz says, don't glean anywhere else. Listen carefully. Where are you gleaning, church? Be honest with yourself and be honest with God. If not the Lord, whose wings or what wings do you seek refuge? If not the Lord's. Or in addition to God, where might you seek your refuge? Psalm 34, 8, again, this is a repeat. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is. Is good. God wants you and will orchestrate with you ways for you to taste and to see that he is good. And how blessed is he and she who takes refuge in him. You will be full. One more thing before we tackle the next stanza. I hope we never lose sight of the truth displayed in verse 10. I hope we never lose sight of this. She fell on her face... <laughs> Bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you would take notice of me? I am a foreigner. That's us in our sinful state. I hope we never, never, never lose sight of that. I hope we wake up every day and the first thing we say is, Why have, you, why have I found favor in your sight that you would take notice of me, a sinner? But he does so that we will drop to our knees and so that we will say that. I hope we never lose sight of that. I hope the Lord reminds you of your brokenness and your sinfulness and your shamefulness so that we can say, why have I found your favor? That's a great thing, isn't it? And we can lose sight of that. We forget about the Lord's favor in our lives. I pray that we daily have this understanding and posture before God. Our third stanza, verses 14, 15, and 16. So at mealtime, Boaz says to her, come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And so she sat beside the reapers, and and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied, and she had some left. And when she rose to glean, so she goes back to work. Boaz commanded his servants, he said, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. And also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Gosh, more favor. We see in these verses clearly the abundant provision extended to Ruth. The abundant provision extended to Ruth. If we were really honest, I would say virtually everybody here can go quite a bit of time talking about the abundant provision that God has blessed you with. Verse 14 says that she ate, that she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Abundant provision. Verse 15 says that she got to glean even among the sheaves. What that means is she got to glean not from the stuff that fell on the ground, but the stuff that was standing. She got the first fruits of Boaz's crops. She got to glean among the standing sheaves. Verse 16 says that Boaz told his servants to purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles. Oh my goodness. Church, when we are in a vibrant relationship with the Lord through the person of Jesus Christ, here's what the lesson is. We will be satisfied, we will have an abundance, and we will have some left over. Oh, the harvest that awaits those who take refuge in our Lord. Notice in verse 14, you may not have seen that. I kind of pointed out, it says at the end that he, so she sat beside the reapers and he served her. Are you kidding? First day in a new town, doesn't belong. And Boaz serves her as Christ has served us. This points us to Jesus Christ, does it not? Mark 10, 45 says as much. It's in Matthew and I think in Luke, but I think Mark's the better version because it's after my name and I just really like the book. (laughs) Bad joke. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So it points to Jesus Christ, but it also points to our calling as Christians that we're to be like Christ. And so it's one thing to declare that we don't expect to be served. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. It wasn't a period. He didn't say, hey, I didn't come to be served. But to serve. Oh. So it's, it's one thing, right? To say that we don't expect to be served by anyone, but it's quite another to serve others. It's one thing for me to walk out of here and say, I don't expect any of you to serve me in any capacity. Oh, wow, you're so humble, Pastor Mark. That's not what Jesus said. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Oh, that's different. Our fourth stanza, verses 17 through 23. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out, what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, saw what she had gleaned, and and she also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied so that Naomi could be satisfied because there's an abundance. And her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. Our Lord is to be blessed because he takes notice of us. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, Right? She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And then Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. And Ruth and Moabites said, furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. And so she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the harvest. And then she lived with her (laughs) mother-in-law. This is now our fourth stanza, the the partnership that she has with Boaz. See, church, when we form... Listen, it's going to sound a little tricky. When, When we form a partnership... And when we serve the one who forms a partnership and serves us, that's the setup, right? I'll say it again. When we form a partnership and when we serve the one, the Lord, who forms a partnership and who serves us. Not only are we satisfied now, which, which Ruth is, but we are now able to contribute to the satisfaction of others when we partner and when we serve, the one who partners and serves us, then like Ruth, not only are we satisfied, but we have an abundance where now we can go and help satisfy other peoples in our life. So I ask you this, <laughs> how satisfied are you today? How satisfied are you? How are you contributing to the satisfaction of other people? That's the picture of Ruth. She's satisfied because she's put her faith and hope and trust in this person of Boaz who represents the person of Jesus Christ. And she's completely satisfied and she has an abundance to go and satisfy others. How satisfied are you? How are you contributing to the satisfaction of others if you are? Look at verse 19 again. This is really powerful. I don't know if you picked up on this. Verse 19, let's read that. Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you go today? <laughs> May he who took notice of you be blessed. Look at this. So she told her mother-in-law, Ruth says to Naomi, with whom she had worked. Not for whom she had worked, with whom she had worked. The name of the man with whom I worked today is Boaz. Boaz. Is that powerful? Church, whom are you working with today? Whom are you working with today? From whom are you gleaning today? From whom are you getting your help today? The writer of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6 says this that we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. We don't just worship the Lord and serve the Lord and are submissive to the Lord. The Lord helps us. He's, he, he partners with us and he serves us as we partner and serve him. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 7, similarly about the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Oh, may it never be Jesus. Jesus. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Because we're in this together. Let me close with this from a theologian out of one of my commentaries. It's not on the screens, but I'm just going to read it to you. I hope that's okay. It's not too long. I find that many people are miserable because they don't obey the admonition of Hebrews 12, verse 2, which says, "Fixing." Our eyes on Jesus. It's the admonition that we are to be fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let me start over. I find that many people are miserable because they don't obey the admonition of Hebrews 12.2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. They spend so much time looking at themselves, their circumstances, and other people that they fail to do what Ruth did. Namely, center their attention on the Master. Instead of resting on our Lord's perfections, His perfections, they focus on their own imperfections. Instead of seeing His spiritual riches, they complain about their bankruptcy. They go to church to get their needs met instead of going to church to worship the God who is greater than any need they have. And we're all guilty of that. Of course. Because we're fallen and we're broken. But the Lord reminds us the story of Ruth that that's where our focus should be. Ruth chose to focus that way instead of her circumstances and then watch God do what God does. Amen? That was Ruth, too. That seemed like it went fast. Holy cow, I almost lost my voice, but I'm here. I'm I'm alive to tell about it. I'm going to invite up the worship team to close this in song. Let me pray for our time uh, here together. And if you need prayer, our prayer team's available down here in the corner. Let's pray. Oh, my goodness, Lord, you're so, so, so good to us. Thank you for these stories that remind us of the things that we already know to be true. But somehow we lose sight of them. Lord, somehow we lose sight of who you are. We get mired in the stuff that's going on in our lives. Because it's real and it's hard and, it's, and it's, it's hurtful and it's confusing. But Lord, you're working out the details. And we just don't know it yet. Because we're not telling the story yet. We're, we're living the story. But Lord, as I look back on my life, I've told so many stories that in the moment I didn't have any idea, but, it, but afterwards I, I tell the story and all the details of the things that you were working out. And I'm so thankful for that, Lord. God, we love you and we thank you. We're trying so hard, Lord. We are trying so hard to continue to trust you, to learn about you, to walk in ways that please you, to partner with you, to serve you because you've partnered and served us. Give us strength, O Holy Spirit, this year, like we've never had before, to partner well with you so that you would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, it's in your mighty name we pray.